0: Welcome to the Cinema Matchups podcast. We are your hosts, Kim Kohler and Sean Mernenberg. And we are back with our third five verse 12 matchup of our movies from books bracket challenge for you guys today. Today we have Mystic River, which is our fifth seed versus The Zookeeper's Wife, which is our 12th seed. Two equally depressing movies on two very different scales. Um, Going into these movies, we have The Zookeeper's Wife that comes in at a 64% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on the nonfiction book from 2007 by Diane Ackerman, was adapted into film in 2017, came with some mixed critical response. And I think we'll want to dive into this a little bit later when we talk about strengths and weaknesses. But it was really interesting reading these reviews and seeing the mixed reviews because the critics who seemed to not like this film had things to say, such as the human drama was less interesting than what happens to the animals in this movie. Some say it was too timid and too sanitizing and then some positive reviews praise it for not being so explicit and taking a different take on it. So a lot of combative head to head different criticisms of this movie. So interested to hear what you think about it um, and interested to talk about it later on. Transitioning into Mystic River, that comes in at an 88% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, based on the 2001 novel by Dennis Lehan, was adapted into film in 2003 by Clint Eastwood, shot entirely in Boston, which is really cool because that's where it is set. Uh was nominated for six Oscars. Huge, huge positive critic response for this movie. The Oscars it was nominated for were Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor Sean Penn, Best Supporting Actor Tim Robbins, Best Supporting Actress Marsha Gay Harden, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It won for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor for Tim Robbins. So lost that year Best Picture to Lord of the Rings Return of the King, which was a movie that a lot of people suggested for this bracket challenge. But as we stated in our intro, that would be very unfair to throw that one in here. So huge presence at award season. Huge praise specifically for Tim Robbins took home a lot of really good awards for his role in this film and was really, really great in this film. So we're going to talk both of these. We're going to talk their strengths, their weaknesses. We're going to actually, I think battle it out on this one because I have a feeling we have some differing viewpoints. I think we will come to an agreement on one, but I think we have some differing strengths and differing, Passions for each of these movies.
1: Yeah, there's one that I thought was better than the other one, but I thought both movies were really well done. So I think we should start with our similar themes like we always do. And I have one, and it's that in both movies, it's nice for about the first three minutes and then is nothing but depressing for the entire rest of the movie.
0: It really is. And I think this is probably going to translate into my strengths a lot because. I liked that for both of these movies, because talking about Mystic River, one thing I really liked about it and how it started so fast, because the way Mystic River is set up is the first scene is of the three main characters, Sean, Jimmy and Dave as little kids. They're probably like 12, 13 years old or so. And they're playing hockey in the middle of the street. And Dave gets abducted by this guy who claims to be a policeman We find out later that some terrible things happened to Dave, and then it flashes forward like 20 some 30 years into the future when they're all grown up. They're not really super good friends, but you don't really know what happened throughout the course of their childhood. You don't exactly know what happened to Dave. So it flashes forward, but you don't have any time, like I said, to get a connection with any of them. You don't get to know who they are. The whole movie feels very mysterious because it, as you stated, happens so, so quickly.
1: Yeah. And on the other side, the zookeeper's wife, it's the most wholesome first three minutes of a movie I've ever seen. It is Jessica Chastain and she is walking through a zoo, feeding the animals, running with like a llama or something that was walking with her down this path. And I was like, wow, this is a really wholesome three minutes. And then all of a sudden the bombs hit and this zoo is just torn to pieces. And the movie never gets back to being that same wholesome feeling that it starts with. And same thing with Mystic River. These kids are playing hockey. They're having fun. The ball gets lost in the drain and they're like, darn. And you're like, oh, that stinks. But they were having fun playing hockey. And then the whole thing turns.
0: Yeah. For the zookeeper's wife, what's interesting about it is that going into this movie, I had no clue what it was about. I had seen that it on the genre listing next to the movie when we watched it on HBO, it was listed as a war movie. And I was confused by that because I didn't know what it was about. And so I was thinking, oh, okay, we're going to watch something about some kind of war. And as you stated, the first few minutes are bright. They're colorful. And I take notes as these movies go on, as does Sean. And my very first note on my phone for this movie and I'll read it exactly. It says this movie starts out so bright and colorful, which is a nice change of pace from the other movies we've watched.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And they pulled the rug from under you. It
0: goes to shit. It all goes to shit and everything is ruined. So this takes place in the 1940s in Warsaw during Nazi Germany, during Hitler's reign, during um the holocaust all of that so it's super super depressing it's a very tough movie and again Sean and I don't like to talk during this these movies but he did send me a text during this movie as I was sitting right next to him saying, I don't think I'll ever be able to be happy ever again (laughs) (laughs) because it is super depressing, but it does take that drastic turn where everything feels so fun and they have this zoo and it's so colorful and lively and beautiful and all the people are smiling and happy and then all the animals are dead The troops are coming in to occupy the zoo and create a base for themselves there. And everything is going to shit. So the entire basis of the movie, just as a background, is that this family is living on the zoo grounds. And then slowly but surely is taking in Jewish people from the Jewish ghettos in Warsaw and hiding them in their house and taking them to safe havens. So... A really, really heavy movie, both pretty heavy movies, but that is an interesting thing to talk about how much it shifts for the first couple minutes.
1: Yeah. And the thing that I like about the zookeeper's wife is that visually, like you said, the colors are really popping and The first three minutes and then the tone of the colors of the movie visually completely change. And I like that in The Zookeeper's Wife, Mystic River doesn't do it as much. In Mystic River, the whole movie feels like it's shot on the cloudiest day of all time. And with Dave's abduction, that I feel like signifies the cloud that hangs over this entire movie. So I like how both movies use their color palettes and the visual tones differently, which goes back to our similar themes of this movie only being nice for the first three minutes.
0: But there's a difference in both these movies. The zookeeper's wife does get to a nice point at the end, as nice as it can possibly get to. So I know we're just thrashing through the entire plot, but the end is very similar to the beginning of the movie where the zoo, their home is completely destroyed, ravaged by all the bombings, all the occupations of all the troops. All just the wear and tear of everything that went on there. And then the main character played by Jessica Chastain, Antonina, goes with her son and her daughter back to it. And her husband, their father, Jan, who was fighting during the Warsaw Uprising and was injured and became a prisoner of war, comes back, finds them at the Warsaw Zoo And everything's colorful again. They have a lot of the people that they saved from the Jewish ghetto who are there and are helping them rebuild. And the animals are roaming around again. And so it's a little bit back to where it was. It has the stark reminder that only 6% of the people there actually survived. But it's trying to rebuild back to where it was. And then you have Mystic River that doesn't go back to anything positive at all.
1: No, not at all. It's sad from Dave's abduction all the way until the end of the movie and does not change. And I like that.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if I would classify it as sad, more so tense. I think both of these movies were terribly depressing in two very different ways. You had Mystic River that was mysterious and sad because what the whole point of Mystic River is, is we find out that Sean Penn, who plays Jimmy, his daughter, Katie, played by Emmy Rossum, is murdered. And that's what sets all of this off, is who murdered his daughter. And mysteriously, one night, Tim Robbins comes home after he saw Katie in the bar and goes to his wife, Marsha Gay Harden, and makes up this story about how he was being mugged and how he maybe killed this guy who mugged him, and he had a slash mark of a knife in his stomach. So then the suspense just built that it was probably Dave. Dave was the last one who saw her alive. Marcia Gay Harden's character thought it was Dave who did it, and told Jimmy in the end that hey, Dave is the one who did it, and spoiler alert, Jimmy kills Dave in the end of the movie, even though we find out Dave did not do it. Katie's boyfriend's brother did it so so it's, ha- it's a lot to unpack
1: yeah I have a couple things a couple questions that I wrote down because I was just unsure while watching the movie because through the entire movie they try to paint it to make you think that Dave did it pretty much the entire time but there was one thing that kept catching me and it was that Dave kept telling everyone that he saw Katie that night and I thought that was weird if you killed someone I mean, you would never kill someone. But if you if you killed someone, would you ever be telling people that you saw them that night
0: or that you were the last one who saw her alive?
1: Exactly. Absolutely not. Never. So that was the only thing where my brain was like, that's not it. He's he didn't do it.
0: Yeah. So the whole movie, you're you're trying to piece it together because it is a mystery. It is a crime thriller. And you're trying to piece together. Did Dave do this? You know, his story is a little bit fishy. We find out in the end that he actually was beating up a guy and stopping him from raping and sexually assaulting a child. And that's how he got his injury. He did kill the guy, and it showed up in the news like the day after Jimmy murdered him. So it all came around and was a big oh shit moment for everybody. But I know we're early, but transitioning into strengths and weaknesses for this movie... I think my weakness might be something for debate, but throughout the whole movie, I was thinking this because you were thinking on Dave. Did he do it? Did he not? But I still can't wrap my mind around how quick Jimmy was to kill Dave, because think of the information he had. He had, hey, Dave is acting suspicious and he was the last guy to see her alive, Uh, And then Marsha Gay Harden's character, Celeste, saying, I think he did it, Jimmy. I think he killed Katie and him going, that's enough for me. And then shot him and killed him.
1: Well, Jimmy is also unhinged throughout this entire movie, so.
0: He absolutely is. I agree with that and hear that. And he has a crime streak that he's trying to make it look like he's better than and he's on a better path, but still has the Savage Brothers who are basically a mini mob that work for him. So he is very suspicious But also how quickly he was to murder somebody with so little evidence against him.
1: I guess, but I think that's his character. His character is the man that pulls the trigger too quick. He's too instinctive. And they do a great job of showing them as kids, as him Being the one that is aggressive and the one that takes initiative. So right in the beginning of Mystic River, the kids are found writing their names in wet cement. And Jimmy is the one that starts it all. Jimmy looks at it and goes, let's write our names in this wet cement. So it's just part of the character for him to be that impulsive. So then when it comes to someone killing his daughter and him thinking that he has the guy, it is not going to stop him from being impulsive in that situation.
0: Yeah, but he's going off of the hysterics of this guy's wife, who already is just scared of him and is already not a trusty historian. She doesn't have a good grip on what's going on at all. And I would just think that also there was no real empathy for Dave, you know, putting myself in those shoes or putting anyone in those shoes. You're not automatically going to play the empathy card of, oh, Dave had a tough childhood and went through some crazy shit when he was younger. So maybe I should hear him out. But he never gave him that chance. And I understand they grew apart throughout the years. But also it just seemed like Celeste telling him, yeah, I think he did it was the reason he did this. And there was just no other evidence. There was no other thought process. And in the end, Dave admitted that he did it as he was sitting on the beach before Jimmy killed him. But it was because he was scared and because Jimmy said, if you tell me you did it, I won't kill you. So I don't know. I can see it either way. I'm not saying that it brings down the integrity of the movie for me.
1: Let me just take one more little stab at this and try and nip this weakness right here. Okay. Who else thought Dave did it? Literally everyone in the movie besides Sean, Kevin Bacon's character. Literally every single person.
0: But no one was making that known to Jimmy. No one was saying that he did it. He was suspicious. Everyone acknowledged he was suspicious. But no one was pinpointing besides Lawrence Fishburne, who was Kevin Bacon's partner, and Celeste. They were the only two that were like, that's the guy.
1: Well, there was also a scene where I don't remember who was telling him, but someone said, Jimmy. They took Dave away. They had him in handcuffs. And Jimmy said, oh, they're questioning him, they're questioning everyone. And they said, no, this is a second time going in. And I think from there, that's when Jimmy goes, this guy did it. The police know. Now I know.
0: But that's a huge generality, too, especially because he gave the story of this guy mugging him. He gave the story of getting in a tussle. It could have been about that. They live in the city of Boston where how many different things happen? How many different possible suspects could there be? I just don't know. I think that I could see it played out as bad as this sounds. I know you haven't seen Prisoners, but I could see it played out in a Prisoners type of situation where he like takes Dave captive and questions him in the house and he doesn't kill him right away, but he wants to find out more about it and wants to formulate a decision. But then he also did get the admittance piece from Dave. So I don't know. I just thought that it was very trigger happy and very impulsive. And not to say it was a bad movie or that I disliked it. But if I'm nitpicking weaknesses, that's where I go with it.
1: That's fair. And I just think Jimmy is impulsive. I think that's part of the character. He's impulsive the entire time throughout the movie. He finds out his daughter's car is the one being looked at and instantly goes to try and run through the crime scene. So I think he's just an impulsive guy and it kind of fits the character. But I get what you're saying is that for a sane person, there is clearly not enough evidence to deem this man guilty.
0: Not even deem him guilty to murder him. To murder
1: him. (laughs) Correct. I'm
0: not talking... Deem him guilty all you want. Totally fine. Sure. Like I said, take him prisoner. Do whatever you want. But murdering him off of his very hasty confession.
1: Forced confession.
0: Forced confession. A bad confession by Celeste, who is just hysterical throughout the whole movie. And some guy saying he was taken away in handcuffs. It's just not enough for me. But... That was my weakness. Do you have any weaknesses for this movie? Because I have a feeling you really, really liked it.
1: I did really like it. I found one weakness and it was a little tough. So my weakness is that they never give the killers an actual motive. They chalk it up to kids playing with a gun, but they still beat her with hockey sticks. So they never go into a motive about it. And that bugged me.
0: I think there's the implied motive, right? That the killer is the brother of Katie's boyfriend. And they knew that Katie and her boyfriend were planning to go to Las Vegas and get married. And throughout the movie, they do a really good job at painting the picture of Brendan, Katie's boyfriend, and his brother, who is mute. And so he does sign language for him, even though he doesn't have to, because... He can hear. He just can't speak. So they do a really good job of setting up that relationship and setting up how vital they are to each other and how integrated Brendan is into his life. So I wonder if the implied motive is just the loss of that presence in his life and the loss of someone who he feels like understands him because they show that Brendan and his father has been in prison. The mother just doesn't give a shit. She's just like drinking and smoking and watching TV and doesn't care what her kids are doing. So that was his only real family. So I wonder if the implied motive is the jealousy of that being taken away from him.
1: Yeah, I agree with it. Okay, I have no weaknesses. (laughs)
0: You can't just do that every podcast.
1: No, that was my weakness. It just was a little unclear. And for a movie that paints out the story pretty well, it felt a little weird for that to be so implied.
0: And that is a good point. Everything was very linear and very clear cut. But you were still wondering throughout the movie who did what, who was guilty, whose story was lining up, but it did all tie together with a pretty ribbon at the end.
1: Yeah. And that goes into my strengths is that this is a fun version of a whodunit. And you and I are both suckers for those types of movies. So that's one of my three strengths.
0: It's a very depressing whodunit, though. I guess all whodunits involve murder, but this one is more child murder, whereas I think we've talked about this before, but you go to Knives Out and it's more campy, fun, Whimsical. whimsical, whodunit.
1: Clue another okay that
0: <laughs> that's not even a uh, a who done it anywhere near mystic river clue's a masterpiece on its own but yeah no that was really interesting and it was a super heavy movie and going into my strengths for this movie we sat here for a while and Admittedly, we haven't seen a lot of classic Sean Penn movies or a lot of movies like Milk that he got really heavy praise for. So we were thinking to ourselves, is Sean Penn a really good actor or is he just one of those guys that just has this charisma and has this presence and he can just say whatever and he can still look cool and do the part? And then there's a scene where he comes to this crime scene because he hasn't seen Katie all day. He, She didn't come home. She didn't call. She wasn't at her friend's house. Can't find her. Is worried about her. Goes to the first communion of his other daughter. Katie's not there. Super weird. So he goes and hears that there's this crime scene down the street. He shows up. He recognizes it's Katie's car. And they won't let him pass. They won't let him get to the crime scene. He talks to Sean, Kevin Bacon's character. And he won't let him in and says, hold him back. Don't let him come in. And then... He and his savage mob brother friends go and get some bolt cutters out of their car and cut the gate in the park and stroll up right to where the body has been found like five minutes prior in the movie by Sean's character. And Sean Penn Jimmy comes up and it is heart wrenching acting. It is insane. He is just screaming. Is that my daughter? Is that my daughter? So loud. And it is so intense and so sad and so heartfelt. And a fun fact about that scene, he let the director, Clint Eastwood, know before they shot that scene to have an oxygen tank on site for him after he got done shooting that scene because he knew how intense it would be.
1: That's fun. I like that you brought that up because he was really screaming like that was really like you said the moment where we both realized Sean Penn's a great actor. And I've only seen one other Sean Penn movie and it's Fast Times at Ridgemont High.
0: We've probably seen other ones here and there. Well, Fast
1: Fast Times at Ridgemont High is him being a stoner who likes to surf. So this is very different, but he still nails it completely. And that actually brings me to my second strength of the movie, which is the acting. And everyone in this movie is fantastic at acting. It makes it feel so real and pulls you into the story so deeply. And I love that about this movie. From Sean Penn all the way to Lawrence Fishburne, who is doing a great job and rarely in this movie...
0: It is a real star-studded cast, too. Even the supporting characters, you have a young Emmy Rossum who plays Katie, but does a really, really good job of it. You have Marsha Gay Harden. You have Laura Linney. You have Kevin Bacon, Sean Penn, Tim Robbins, obviously Lawrence Fishburne. You have a, a heavy star-studded cast in this movie, but a lot of people who weren't super, super huge at the time it was shot because I was reading up on it. And even for Laura Linney, who wasn't in this movie a lot, she was shooting this movie concurrently with Love Actually, which I think a lot of people really know her from that. And now Ozark, obviously. But to me, Tim Robbins was the star of the show here.
1: Absolutely. As much as I think Sean Penn was great in this, Tim Robbins was so good. He was so timid. And it's wild because Tim Robbins is 6'5". So he has to play the guy who's taller than everyone, but is also more timid than everyone.
0: And it's less timid because of his personality and more he was shaped by the trauma he experienced as a child. And you actually feel that trauma and that PTSD throughout the movie and they do it very subtly, but in a way where people are scared of him because they don't understand him or what he went through because it doesn't seem like he talked about it. He has a very heavy scene where Celeste comes home from sitting in her car and just staring off into the distance and wondering what's going on with her husband and he's sitting in his armchair in front of the TV drinking And she pretty much asks him if he murdered Katie that night in a roundabout way that she does a bad job doing a roundabout way of. And he goes on this tangent and just tells her again not super explicitly but of all the bad things that happened to him when he was kidnapped so long ago and people just don't seem to understand him he doesn't have an outlet to tell this to anybody to he's trying to be a good dad and provide a corrective experience to his son but everyone still seems to think that he is the odd guy or something's up with him or he's murdering people and he's doing justice killings is what he's doing. I mean, only on one occasion that we see, but he's murdering this guy who's trying to rape a young child, very reminiscent of what he went through. So the way he plays the trauma piece and the way he plays that mysterious air about him while still being a little bit frightening because you don't understand him is awesome. He does so well in this movie.
1: I love that you brought up And the more we talk about Mystic River, the more we will go back to Dave's abduction, because one thing that Kevin Bacon's character Sean says in the movie is sometimes I think all three of us got in the car that day. And it's amazing how the first scene of the movie is so attention grabbing and then revolves around the whole movie as it goes. You will never get away from that moment, that first scene and not only the first scene, They walk down that same street that they were writing their names in and their names are still there. The whole incident is tattooed on the block that they lived in and still live in.
0: And one side note, this might not tie super heavy into what we're talking about now, but I was actually thinking about this before we recorded this podcast and I didn't think about it as I was watching the movie, but the whole thing that is set up when Dave is abducted by the cop is that Jimmy and Sean then go to their dads who were drinking on the back porch and are like, some guys just took Dave. And they're like, what do you mean? What did he look like? Oh, he was a cop. And they were like, how did you know he was a cop? Well, he had a badge. Did he have a uniform? No, he wasn't in uniform. So the whole guilt On these kids was that you let a guy in plain street clothes who said he was a cop take him into the car but then you see Sean Kevin Bacon's character who is a cop in plain street clothes throughout the entire movie and I don't know if that was purposeful he's a detective so he's not you know wearing a traditional officers uniform but It's still very interesting to me that he became the exact person, not the exact person, but he dresses. He is the person that is an actual cop in street clothes.
1: I love that you brought a throwback from part of the movie to that original scene because it happened again. And I saw you write the note when it happened. And it's when Jimmy's goons pick up Dave. And that reminisces back to pretty much the exact same visual of the scene of Dave being abducted by the police officer.
0: Yeah, because in the flash forward, Dave is again in the backseat of the car looking out the back window with Sean and Jimmy staring on As the car is driving away. Very similar, very exact actually to what happened when he was younger. And it just reinforces more of that trauma that he's experiencing. He can never get away from this event. He lives down the street from where it happened still. He's trying to live as normal of a life as he can, and he just can't do it. Let's go into Zookeeper's wife now, because we've been talking about Mystic River for a while. And let's talk about strengths of the zookeeper's wife. And we talked about one of my strengths already, which was the colors and how quickly everything went to shit. But my biggest strength for this movie was how well it put a helplessness feeling into you. And there's a few times it does this. And it actually transitions my strength into my weakness because this okay. theme is both a strength and a weakness for me in two different scene examples, which I will explain later. But my strength is, is this helplessness feeling. So one of the biggest scenes that really tore me apart was Jan was going into the city to try and get more people to come back with him and try and rescue more people. And he had met this one guy who was helping him do that, basically. And he saw this guy boarding a train with all of these children who he had been taking care of. And this guy was like, all right, kids, we got to go to the magic show. We're going to go on the train to the magic show. And Jan was like, I got my car. It's right over here. I can get some people. And he tells him, don't make this worse for them because, you know, they're being loaded up on a train and they're all going to go die. And there's. At one point, Jan is on the side of the train and the little kids are lifting up and out their arms to help them be lifted into the train by Jan. And Jan is literally lifting these kids who look so jovial and joyous because they think they're going to a magic show into a train to go and be executed. And it's so helpless because he can't do anything. He can't do anything. And that happens, too, with a little girl. He sees... Going into an alleyway with two soldiers and he knows what's going to happen to her, but he can't stop and he can't try and rescue her because then he'll be thrown into jail. He'll be killed. Something bad will happen to him. And it's so heartbreaking, all of those moments in this whole movie. And it is a situation of what do you do? You couldn't do anything differently. You wish you could. So you try and compensate by saving as many people as you can.
1: This is actually my exact same strength. I phrased it a little differently. I phrased it as this movie made me feel every negative feeling I was supposed to. Sometimes you watch movies and it might at times supposed is supposed to be sad and you just don't feel sad. But this one hit every single time. And I think that's a real strength of the movie. Even when all of the animals are being shot, it's insanely sad.
0: It's super sad. And that goes into what I wanted to talk about with the critics reviews of this movie. And a lot of people saying that it was sanitized. One review I read said that it could be played as a child's movie like children could watch this movie. And I was like, in what world? All these animals are dead. There's their legs of a zebra laying around. You're watching them being buried and being shot at. And then you have all these kids who are dying and explosions and gunshots and two ladies getting shot in the back of their head against a wall. In what world would this be a kid's movie? And it made me a little upset because it did evoke a lot of those feelings for me. And it was Intense to watch, but captivating to watch because I think the acting pulled through, the compelling story pulled through. You wanted to see what happened but it was sad. You felt hopeless. You felt helpless. You wanted to scream. You went back and were like, I can't believe that happened. And we even talked about it. Like, that's still the worst thing that has ever happened to a group of people. I mean, arguably, there's a lot of other bad things happening to a lot of different groups of people, especially now. But going into that, that was awful tragedy. And so for people to review this movie and say it sanitized things or it glamorized it up or put it, dumbed it down for kids is ridiculous because how many Schindler's lists can we see?
1: So that's what I was going to say is I actually liked this version of this movie. It would be very easy for this movie to make you feel these emotions by just going completely over the top with the terrible things happening. But this one doesn't have to. And I think that's where this is a strength of the movie is that it doesn't have to be ultra violent in order for you to get it.
0: Because you already know... What happened? You know what happened based on history. And I'm not saying you should sanitize things. I think it's great when movies we've talked about already in this podcast, we talked about Hacksaw Ridge and showing how gruesome everything was and how real that felt. I think those things are important at times to show. But I think this movie did show a lot of really heavy elements that it could have completely toned down. It could have just showed animals being shot by your ear And not actually showing them get shot, not actually showing them dead, not actually showing any people dead. It could have sanitized it down a hundred times. And for some of the reviews to say that this movie focused more on the emotions behind animals dying than people dying, you have to tie it to this was these people's livelihood. This zoo brought so many people a livelihood and brought these this family a livelihood. And that was their death. All of these animals being shot and all of these animals being excavated out, their joy and their sense of purpose and taking care of things was taken away. And in turn, they found people to take care of. And there was one point where Antonina said it we're going to be like a human zoo now, which sounds terrible, but it is. They're taking these people in. They're caring for them when other people don't care for them. And they're trying to release them back into society so they can live normal lives. And so I liked that it incorporated this story because it's a true story. It's based on a true story of the Warsaw Zoo. So you're just going to eliminate the animals out of it. Come on. Like, let it be a movie about these people that run a zoo and then help rescue Jewish people. Why does it have to be so, so sad? Like, we've seen Schindler's List. We've seen The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. We've seen all of these. Let it be something different.
1: Exactly. It's a different scope on the same story. It's toned down, but they don't all have to be so extreme. And I think it falls somewhere between being extreme and being a kid's movie. It's neither, but it's somewhere in the middle. And it, that's okay because it's still a powerful movie to watch.
0: Agreed. So we can say very firmly that the Rotten Tomatoes score on this is a little too low for our liking. 64 does not vibe with me. I loved this movie. I thought it was fantastic. It was emotional. It was moving. It was exciting. It was great. And 64 is unjustly low for it based on the reasons why people were poorly reviewing it. It's ridiculous.
1: I want more dead bodies. Like,
0: what? <laughs> calm, Get down. Here. calm down, calm um, down. Going into weaknesses for this movie, I said it would translate a little bit with my strength. And I talked about how the strength was that helplessness of some of the characters in the movie. And there's a particular scene and subplot of this that is my weakness. And that is Jan's anger that Antonina and Lutz are like having a fling behind his back. So basically Lutz is this guy who's a Nazi. He was a friend of them, owns a zoo in Germany where he breeds animals. So he would come around from time to time and was a friend of the family before. And then he starts coming around more often because they have the base at their zoo and starts being a little bit more provocative with Antonina, coming into her house, like touching her face, telling her how much he likes her. And so she makes a comment to Jan that like, what else am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to turn him off? Am I supposed to make him go away? He's just going to rebel against me. He's a powerful guy. I can't do anything about it. So I just felt that Jan's anger at that whole situation was so unjust because she was so helpless in this situation. She's trying to hide hundreds of people in her basement. She's got to keep a low profile and do whatever she needs to. Granted, she's not screwing this guy. She's washing her hands and he's touching her hands. And he's being creepy and inappropriate with her for sure. But at the same time, she's doing what she needs to do to support a bigger cause than herself.
1: Yeah. I mean, if he really thought that she was going to turn on him, wouldn't she be like, hey, by the way, my husband's hiding Jewish people in our basement.
0: Right. I just thought it was a stupid subplot. And as I was watching it, I was like, just get rid of it. Get get it out of this movie. We don't need this. We don't need it at all because these two people are trying to fight for a bigger cause. They're trying to support their own family. They're trying to stay strong together. Why are you going to fight about this stupid evil, terrible dude right now. It was dumb, unnecessary, hated it.
1: That's a fun weakness. I like that. Mine is just that it's such a straightforward story that there's nothing to really dig into. Where on the other hand, Mystic River is so deep and entrenches you so much. The zookeeper's wife, you watch a story And you go, that was a nice story.
0: Why do you need that, though? We talked about this in another podcast, and that was my strength of I can't even remember what it was, but of another movie. Sometimes you just want a linear movie that tells a story.
1: Yeah, but in this particular instance, I preferred that the other movie really entrenched me in the story compared to me being told a history lesson.
0: I guess it's a matter of preference, but I want to make the argument that you can't call it a weakness of the film because it doesn't match up with your chronological preference of this particular
1: matchup. I guess it was okay. I didn't take that many notes. There was nothing to note or think about during the movie.
0: See, and I took more notes for this movie than I did for Mystic River. I felt the exact opposite of you. I felt that this one had so many different layers and so many displays of human suffering and individual suffering. And Mystic River also had a lot of human suffering and individual suffering and trauma and murder. Like, they had a lot of overlapping plot points. But this movie... It felt like it told the story. You knew what the story was. So you were able to dive a little bit deeper into the characters. Whereas in Mystic River, the entire time you're diving deeper into the plot because you don't know what's happening. So I think it's a matter of personal
1: preference. Sure. I dove into the characters of Mystic River.
0: Yeah, we did. But I think you are more focused on the plot and the whodunit aspect of it than in this movie the zookeeper's wife i mean clearly there is no who done it it's the nazis surprise but it's more about the individual struggles of each and every one of those characters
1: i disagree and we'll get into it a little later
0: okay then get into it now because we just talked about our strengths and weaknesses unless it relates to your little detail
1: it relates to my little detail All of right, mystic river so my detail in the in mystic river is At the end of the movie, we're left with no bad guy. I didn't know what to think about it. So it made me think on this movie even more.
0: How is Jimmy not the bad guy?
1: What do you mean? Jimmy's daughter died. Jimmy's the hero for. He
0: murdered an innocent man.
1: Sure. He's impulsive, but his intentions aren't to be the bad guy. And that's where I think you can dive in on these characters is that some of them might be wrong Because they are murdering people, but none of them are intending to be wrong. They are themselves. They are very flawed characters, very flawed people, but they're just doing the best that they can with whatever intelligence that they have.
0: Sure. And maybe we don't label them as bad guys, but we're just propelling the cycle of violence. Jimmy didn't solve anything. He doesn't feel better by what he did. He well, d- he doesn't feel like a hero. He's not the savior of this
1: story. Absolutely not, but he thought he was for 5 minutes until Sean comes around and says, "Hey, Jimmy, we got the guy that killed your daughter. And he goes, what? So I just think it's great because they're, like I said, there's no bad guy. This movie is characters and tough predicaments. And I love that about it. That's really what I thought about after we watched this. That's what I thought about for the next couple days after watching this movie is how do I feel about any of these characters, all of these characters?
0: And hearing you say that, it just makes me think that I didn't like any of these characters.
1: They're not likable. I never said they were likable.
0: Yeah. But if you compare it to the zookeeper's wife, you have a slew of likable characters in that. And it's always nice to have a movie where you have one likable person in it.
1: Yeah. Is Sean not likable in the movie?
0: No, he's cold. He he's not a bad guy. He's not unlikable. But you don't care about him. He doesn't support Jimmy when his daughter dies or is murdered. It just seems like he's like, yep, she's murdered. That sucks, man. I'm sorry. Like it, it, it doesn't feel warm. Nothing feels warm in this movie. And I'm a warm and fuzzy kind of person. I don't need all my crime dramas to be warm and fuzzy. I know it's the genre film, and I am not saying, again, that I didn't like this movie. I really, really like this movie a lot. But... There was nobody who was good.
1: Why would they be good? Two of them watched one of their friends get abducted at five years old.
0: What about the wives? What about anybody? Nobody? No, because Lenny's like, shoot, whoever you want, Jimmy, you can do whatever you want. I'm here for you. Marsha Gay Harden is just like, yep, my husband's a murderer. Like (laughs) there's nobody who's got a great moral compass in this entire movie.
1: Yeah, I like that.
0: Okay, I don't.
1: Fair enough. Do you have a small detail on Mystic River?
0: I do. My small detail comes at the very beginning of the movie. I guess not the very beginning, but it's as we're starting to piece together what happened to Katie and if she is the one that's been murdered. And as I was talking about before in this timeline, Jimmy goes to the church to watch his daughter's first communion and he's there with his wife And they come out of the church and they're standing on the church steps and a bunch of squad cars go past just like a line of them. And everyone looks because they're like, oh, that's weird because it's a little neighborhood and they're wondering where all these squad cars are going to. And it was interesting thinking of it in the perspective of. He had no idea right away that those squad cars were going to investigate his daughter's murder and how eerie that felt to think of that and how it can happen to anybody that you don't know who that ambulance is going to go see past you. You don't know where that fire truck is going. You don't know where that cop car is going. You don't know what's happening. And it was a really eerie feeling and it brought you into the place where it started to sink in that, ah, shit, I think I think something really bad happened to Katie.
1: One of the other things that I loved about this movie and the bigger part of it is we don't know what happened to Katie for a really long time. I would say probably 20 minutes in the movie. We have no idea what happened to Katie. Now we can only assume the worst because it is a movie and the movie isn't going to give you some, oh, Katie was just lost in the woods for a couple hours, you knew it and you could feel it building over the 20 minutes of Katie missing, that it was the worst possible outcome.
0: Agreed. Let's get into little details of The Zookeeper's Wife. What did you have for that?
1: So mine happened at the very end. We've had a bunch of movies like this where at the end it will give you all of the information, the real life information of the story. And after watching, I guess it's not a small detail because it has to do with the whole movie. But during the movie and at the end and when the credits finally hit, I was thinking, I want to go visit that place. And I think it would be very powerful for us to go visit the Warsaw Zoo, which the movie tells us is still open to this day. And I would love to go visit it because I think it would be a great history lesson. And I know that's not a small detail of the movie, but it moved me emotionally to look more into it.
0: You heard it here first, followers and listeners of the Cinematchups podcast. Sean Rodenberg owes Kim Kohler a trip to Warsaw. So we're going at some point. Okay. (laughs) Shot himself in the foot with that one. But no, that was something to it's one of those movies after you see it. And it's based on a true story. And it's very similar with a lot of these movies we've already watched and looked into. Hacksaw Ridge, I think, comes up automatically for me. And you want to learn more about these people. You want to learn more details about what they did. You want to maybe visit the places that they've gone to and see where they went. And It speaks to the compelling aspects of the story and how the story is told. And I think that The Zookeeper's Wife was told in such a great, endearing, intriguing way that you want to know more about it, even though they gave you the whole gist of the story. And that's what makes this movie great.
1: Yeah. Like I said, I want to go. I think it would just be very fascinating to walk around in such a historical place
0: Speaking of historical places, that goes into my small detail for this movie. And it's a terrible small detail, but nonetheless a very small detail. So they have a shot where they show the Jewish ghettos and it's a big wire fence out in the front with the guards who are making sure people don't come out, people who don't come in. And this couple, seemingly a non Jewish couple from Warsaw, pass by. And it's this girl and she's all dialed up in her blue dress and she's with her boyfriend or husband or whatever. And he starts taking pictures of her in front of the fence of the Jewish ghetto. And this was in 1943. And it just reminded me so much of how much anger we get over people's insensitive posts on Instagram nowadays. You think to when COVID started happening and all of these Instagram models were taking pictures with like N95s on their tits when we needed those for medical (laughs) professionals. And you're like, how, what kind of insensitive garbage are you posting? And you're like, this is that lady. (laughs) She's there in the 1940s. That's her. She's the Instagram influencer of the
1: 1940s. That everyone just hates. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, it's just posting her pictures in front of The gates at Warsaw.
0: It was so infuriating and I hated every moment of it, but it also was a great small detail because it shows you how insensitive people were to the suffering of other human beings at that time. It just shows you that like, oh, my God, here's all these people trapped in this cage behind me that is later going to get set on fire and destroyed and let me take a picture in front of it. This is crazy. It's history. It's like us going to a COVID unit right now and taking a picture in front of it. You know, it's it's insane. People do it all the time. People post this insensitive garbage all the time. And I thought that it was such an interesting little tiny 10 second maybe clip that they put in there just to show the insensitivity of the people around that time.
1: I love that because I noticed it, but I didn't think about it more. So I like that you brought that up and then basically called her the original Instagram influencer.
0: Yes. Extra number five is the uh, original Instagram influencer who posts insensitive content.
1: And then she'll apologize for it in a week and a half. With another post
0: with a post that doesn't actually apologize. It says, I'm sorry, some of you were offended by my last post.
1: Do you want to just rip into Instagram influencers <laughs> right now?
0: No, I don't want to talk about Instagram influencers or my low key love of cancel culture. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was my little detail. I thought it was really a fun throw into the movie.
1: All right. Are we ready?
0: We're ready. And okay, I think, so
1: what do we do here? Because I think we are headed in different directions on this.
0: Here's what I have resolved on personally. And it is that we told you guys at the very beginning of this that we would bring in a mediator if we had known disagreements to any of these movies. And here's the reality of this. Sean and I are recording this and watching one of these movies on a Sunday night when we have to release on a Monday. So... Time's a ticket and we're not really at the liberty of a bunch of time to get a mediator in. So what I thought instead is that I know that Sean is very passionate about one of these movies. And after we watched it, I could tell just by his body language that he was very passionate about one of these movies. And I am excited about one of these movies over the other one but it's not a movie that I would fight tooth and nail for because I can't see it going on to a final round. If it was something I felt so strongly about that I needed to fight for it, I would probably postpone this podcast so we could get a mediator in and fight for it. Okay. But I'm not feeling like I want to fight you tooth and nail for it. So I am going to give you a golden ticket to your movie for the next round. And Then at one point during the rest of our bracket challenge, if we find you in a similar situation where you are equally as okay with either outcome and I am more passionately inflamed about another one that you can issue your your pass ticket for me.
1: That's fine. Okay, that sounds great.
0: So I think I know what your winner is. Okay. So I guess on the count of three, you will reveal what your winner is and I will reveal what I believe your winner is. Okay. Ready? Ready? Three, three, two, two one. one. Zookeeper's dog wife.
1: No, I'm kidding. It's <laughs> Mystic River. But I was thinking when you said that, I, I was thinking, what if I just say Zookeeper's wife and then pocket my ticket for later?
0: Oh, no. <laughs> but no, scam artist. Mystic
1: River was so good. And I would have fought you on it. And whatever mediator you got in here, if we decided to, I, think I would, have, I would fought, have lost. I would have fought them, too.
0: Yeah, I think I would have lost. And I know a lot of people like Mystic River. And here's the thing. I loved Mystic River. I loved both of these movies. This was the hardest matchup thus far for me. I look at The Zookeeper's Wife as a movie that has a lower rating than it deserves and was actually very, very good. And I would watch again and had a really strong message, strong acting. It had everything for me in a movie that I really wanted, and it just beat out Mystic River by a little bit for me. But again, I don't think I could see it going past the next couple of rounds. It's not a movie that I would feel very strongly would fall into a final four for me. So that's why I'm letting it go on into the ether and fall back along the comrades that we've lost in the first round. (laughs) so there you go so we have mystic river move on to the next round very exciting movie very great movie check it out if you haven't seen it i know it's kind of a classic a lot of people have seen it but give it a watch if you haven't zookeeper's wife i don't think a lot of people have heard of really great movie very sad very depressing but really really great really liked it a lot so that being said we are going to move on to our final five verse 12 matchup on Friday, September 4th, that will drop and that will be between Wild, which is our fifth seed versus Anna Karenina, which is our 12th seed. If you guys haven't been following along on Challenge, if you filled out a bracket, you guys should go check out your scores right now. The top five are like super, super close. I think there's only a couple of points. Uh, between the top five, our first place person has been in first for the past, I think, eight, nine episodes now. They've been doing really good, but there are people that are very, very close behind. So super excited to see how that shakes out. So if you want to go check out your scores, you can. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Please subscribe, listen to our other podcasts if you have not. Thank you guys so much for listening and for the cinema matchups. We are Kim Kohler and Sean Rodenberg and we will see you next time.